You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. So good to be with you guys. We haven't met before. My name is Tim. Uh, myself and a team are getting ready to be sent out next fall to plant a church in Charlotte called Citizens Church. So we're really excited about that. Uh, before we jump in this morning to our sermon, I do want to highlight something that's going on or has been going on really in the life of our church. So we as a church have something called the Serve the City Initiative. And it's our goal behind Serve the City to be the hands and feet of Jesus in and around our our city, to love and to serve and to build relationships with those who are marginalized and oppressed and outcast. And so we do that through Serve the City by partnering with different local organizations who are just doing really good work in and around Columbia and in the Midlands. And one of those organizations is DSS. So we partner with DSS to love and to serve and to equip foster parents throughout Columbia and Lexington and throughout the Midlands. And one of the primary ways that we partner with them is through helping them host their DSS parent trainings. So if you are a foster parent in the Midlands, you have to get trained throughout the year so that you can have resources and be up to date about everything uh, to help you be the best foster parent you can be. And a couple of the challenges for DSS is that most of the places they can host these nights are actually farther out in the Midlands from downtown, and so it's hard for people to get there, as well as uh, if you're a foster parent, you have a lot of kids in your home, and so it's really hard uh, for them to provide childcare or to get these parents out of the house for a night, and so we actually have a space and a bunch of really awesome, willing people that get to do that, and so we've been able to help them host these parent, uh, foster parent trainings at our space, as well as provide free child care. Uh, and so the last one that we did a little while ago, we had 75 foster parents that just got to come and get equipped and get trained so that they could open up their homes and be the best foster parents they can be uh, for foster kids, as well as just provide free child care, where it's a safe, fun environment so they know that the kids are taken care of and having fun. Uh, we actually have another one coming up this Saturday, so if you want to serve with that, do child care, that's great. But the main reason why I wanted to put that in front of you is just to say thank you. Thank you for giving. If you give, you give us the opportunity to have a space in the middle of downtown Columbia that we can use not only to gather together on a Sunday to get to worship Jesus together, but also get to open up our doors to other organizations in the city who are doing good work and loving and serving those in need. So thank you. Thank you all for that. Uh, let's dive in. Week three, the life of David, 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24, we're talking about David and Saul, which is, as I've been studying this, getting ready to preach this morning, has quickly become probably my favorite story in the life of David. Saul is crazy and wild, and there's so much fun stuff in there, so I'm excited to, to tackle it together. One of the things you have to know before we dive in is that this morning is a little bit of a Forrest Gump sermon. Anybody remember Forrest Gump? Yeah, so Forrest Gump opens with Forrest sitting on a bench, right, recounting this story to these people, and then the whole rest of the movie, you are finding out why this bench is so important and why he's sitting there. So that's what we're actually gonna do this morning. We're gonna start with the end of the story, except not a bus stop and a bench, but this time in a cave that's acting as a bathroom. So it's gonna be super fun, super excited for that. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna dive into 1 Samuel 24 together. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that we get to worship you, 
We get to sing about how you're going to come on the clouds, and one day every knee is going to bow before you, the lion, the conqueror, the ruler, the reigner, and the lamb. The willing sacrifice. On the cross, blood shed on our behalf. And that you're both, and you're both perfectly. And how good of news that is for us. And so we love you. Would you help us this morning as we look at your word? Would you help us as we dive into 1 Samuel, as we see the life of Saul? Would you help us to learn what we should do, what we shouldn't do? And through all of it, God, most importantly, would you help us to see Jesus? How good he is, how, how great he is, how wonderful he is. Lord, we love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 24, we're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul has been following David around for about four or five years. He knows the spirit of the Lord has left him and that it's on David and David is the one who's supposed to be king. And so Saul has been chasing David around trying to kill him. So that's what's going on here. Verse two, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. All right, pause. I love the details of the Bible. Right, you can't make this stuff up. Saul is chasing David with all of his men trying to kill him, and it says he has to use the bathroom. And there's no loves or truck stops or anything like that, and so he goes, he's like, the cave will work. We'll do that. He goes into the cave. Keep reading. Now David and his men we're sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. All right, there's our tension point. Right, you can just feel it, right? Music rising. David, who's been hunted by Saul for four or five years in the darkness of the cave. Here is Saul walking into the cave to use the bathroom. Right, cue the dramatic music. And we're going to pause there. We're going to go back 40 years earlier. All right, let me show you why this moment in the cave between David and Saul is so important. So we talked about this the first two weeks. David is not the first king of Israel, right? David is not the first one that's declared as king. So the people of God, Israelites, go to Samuel, and they're like, we want a king. We want to be like the rest of the nation. Samuel's like, that's a bad idea, but fine. God's like, all right, give it to him. So uh, Samuel is hanging out, and Saul is one of the Israelites, and he gets sent on a mission, on an errand for his dad. He's going to retrieve some goats. So he's going on this mission. He comes across Samuel. God's like, hey, Samuel, this is the guy. This is the king. Saul is supposed to be king. And so Samuel says, all right. And Samuel anoints him as king, a private ceremony, a private thing, just like he did to David that we saw earlier. He anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. So Saul comes back, comes back home, and his uncle is like, hey, Saul, Tell me what happened. How was the journey? Did you find the goats? And Saul tells his uncle everything except for the big detail that he just got anointed as king. And it might seem like an inconsequential detail, but what's actually going on is that Saul from the get-go is unwilling to trust the plan of God for his life. He's unwilling to admit, hey, God's saying something, God's declaring something, God's commanding something, and he's unwilling to step into it. We see this a lot clearer in chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, it'll be on the screen, or you can turn there, verse 20. So Samuel has anointed Saul in a private ceremony, and then he's going to do it in public. He's going to have a public coronation. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. 
He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So Saul's kingship has already been anointed and predetermined. God has already told Samuel Saul is supposed to be king. But here, Samuel is casting lots. And we don't know if he's doing it to prove it to himself. We don't know if he's doing it to prove it to the Israelites, to prove it to Saul. We don't know why he's doing this, but it's a really cool picture of God's sovereignty, right? That God says, this is the guy. Samuel's like, let's make sure, let's cast some lots, let's roll some dice, let's take a chance. And God's like, no, this is the guy. Check this out. The lot falls with Saul, keep reading, but when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So Samuel's like, all right, Israelites, Saul is your king. They're like, great, let's go get him. Let's make him king. Where is he? So they pray, and God's like, he's hiding in the luggage. Right, this is, this is a key example. The first example we get from Saul, he doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't believe that God knows best. He doesn't think that God has his best in mind. It's not just that Saul is afraid to become king. It's not just that he's nervous. Ah, do I really want to be in charge? He's profoundly unwilling to trust God. And this is a pattern that we're going to see throughout the life of Saul, a constant unwillingness to place his faith and his hope and his trust in God. That's the pattern of Saul's life. He's constantly unwilling to trust God. God declares things and Saul goes his own way. That's the pattern. God says, do this. Saul says, nope. God says, do this. Circumstances press him. Situations press him. And he goes the other way. I wish I could just show you time and time again. We don't have time for that, so I'm just going to show you two. Two really key examples of how Saul is unwilling to trust God. Example number one, we can call Saul's wrongful sacrifice. Example number one is Saul's wrongful sacrifice. So after his coronation... After he's declared as king, Samuel says, all right, so I got another command for you. Go down to a place called Gilgal and wait there for seven days. And at the end of the seven days, Samuel says he's going to come down. They're going to offer sacrifices, and then they're going to go fight against the Philistines. So that's, that's the plan. He goes, go to Gilgal, wait seven days. I'm going to come down. I'm going to do the sacrifices. We're going to seek the Lord together, and then you can go fight. Now, what you need to know is that Samuel is a prophet, And when a prophet speaks, it's not simply good advice. When a prophet speaks in the Old Testament, they are speaking the very words of God. So when he tells Saul, you need to wait seven days for me to do the sacrifice, it's not some advisor, hey, think about it. It's not some buddy to buddy. He's saying, hey, no, you need to obey this. You need to listen to this. God has commanded you, wait for me. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8 says, he waited seven days, Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. So God commanded Saul through his prophet, prophet Samuel to wait. Samuel doesn't show up. After seven days, Saul starts to get a little bit uneasy. Right? It says the people are scattering from him. He's losing his support. He's losing his following. He's losing his momentum. As we're going to see in a second, he's worried that as the people leave him, the Philistines will say, hey, Saul's by himself. He doesn't have a whole lot of men. Let's attack. He's, he's nervous. His circumstances are pressing him, and he has to decide, is he going to trust God? Is he going to trust God? And we know that he doesn't, right? Verse 9, he, he offers the burnt offering. He takes matters into his own hands. This is the pattern of Saul's life. Verse 10, 
As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Perfect timing, right? (laughs) He gets done with the offering. Samuel's like, great, I'm going to roll up now. Sounds good. Verse 11, Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. So he's saying, Samuel, you don't understand. You don't understand. Like, I, I, know, I know God said don't do this, but you don't know what I was going through. You don't know what I was experiencing. You don't know how my circumstances were pressing me. You don't know the situation I was in. You don't know the pressure I was under. I know God commanded one thing, but you don't know what I was going through, and so I just had to. I had to. I didn't want to. I, I forced myself to do it. In summary, Saul's excuse is this. He says, I didn't want to disobey God, but my circumstances dictated my disobedience. He says, I didn't want, I didn't want to go against him. I wanted to obey him, but I had to. My circumstances dictated my disobedience. I was forced to. I was pressed in. It's distrust. It's a clear example of Saul's pattern of lack of trust of God. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So Samuel hints at what Saul's unwillingness to trust God is going to cost him. It's going to cost him the kingdom. That he is no longer going to be king. That as we saw last week, Jonathan is no longer going to become king. Saul's lack of trust in God costs him. Let me give you one more example. 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Promise we're getting back to the bathroom in the cave. Just give me a minute. This is what I want you to show. So, so Samuel comes to Saul again, and he's like, all right, let's try again, Saul. God has given me a command to give to you. And so he tells him, Saul, I need you to go down, and I need you to take on the Amalekites. So what you need to know about this backstory is in Exodus, the people of God, the Israelites, were enslaved in Egypt. And God led them out of that enslavery. He led them to freedom. He led them out of their captivity. And they crossed over the sea. And when they were in the wilderness wandering, they were a people without home. They didn't have shelter. They didn't have borders. The city was such an important place of protection for people in that day. And the Israelites didn't have one. They were just wandering through the wilderness. And a lot of nations treated the Israelites well. They would come and they would trade with them and take care of them. But one nation in particular, the Amalekites, did not do that. They saw it as an opportunity. Hey, the Israelites are wandering homeless in the desert. Let's go get them. And so they attack them. And and God says through Samuel to Saul here, he says, hey, I remember that. I remember the evil that the Amalekites have done. And so what he tells Saul to do through Samuel is to wipe them all out, to kill all of them, to not leave any of their possessions, none of their cattle, no one alive, to not take any of it, to wipe it all out. Now, I know the idea of God demanding the annihilation of an entire, entire people group might throw you off a little bit, right? It's like, okay, Samuel really commands Saul, you have to wipe out the entire Amalekites, every single one of them. And that should give us pause, right? What's, what's going on here? I don't have time to dive into a whole lot of it, but two things I do want to say. Number one, you had a scripture guide on your seat when you came in that explains a lot of this. Don't read it now. You can read it at the end of the sermon. Uh, But it's just going to dive into a lot of what's going on here in this passage, as well as we have a ton of resources on our website, midtowndowntown.com, that you can read up on what's God doing here. Is this wrong? Is this unjust war? All of that kind of stuff. The second thing I want to make sure you see in this command is that God cares 
deeply about injustice and oppression and taking advantage of and hurting and going against the marginalized and the outcast and the helpless. That's what's going on here. God cares deeply. Hey, my people, the Israelites, were helpless. They were wandering homeless in the desert, and you attacked them. You took advantage of them. And he cares deeply about justice, specifically justice for the helpless. That's good news for us that God cares deeply about. Hey, I'm not going to let this go unpunished. I'm not going to let it. This matters. So he sends Samuel to tell Saul, pick it up in 1 Samuel 15, verse 7. It says, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction." So God says, destroy everything. Saul doesn't do it. He only destroys what he doesn't like. Once again, Saul took matters into his own hands. He thought he knew better than God. He says, I, I know God said destroy it all, but I just don't think so. Like, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do what seems right to me. And the story goes, we won't read it, but Samuel shows up. And he's like, all right, Saul, God told you to wipe out everything. Did you do it? And Saul's like, yep. And Samuel's very next question is, well, then why do I hear these sheep bleeding in my ears? which I think is so funny. Like, I just imagine them having this interaction, and Samuel's like, did you wipe everything out? Did you take care of the sheep? And Saul's like, yep, especially the sheep. And then this little lamb, like, just kind of comes up behind Saul, and is like, <laughs> Samuel's like, no, liar. Come on, dude. It's right there. Saul says, yeah. Yeah, totally. Samuel's like, no, you didn't. Keep reading. Verse 17, and Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? He says, you know what God sent you to do. Why didn't you do it? Keep going. He says, why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the sight of the Lord is a theme we see throughout the Old Testament, and it's often put in contrast to the sight of man. So often in the Old Testament, the sight of the Lord is the good thing, it's what God commands, the sight of man is the bad thing, it's what man does instead. These are often put in contrast to one another. And this is actually a big key for what's going on when we don't trust God. When we don't trust God, we are not believing that God's sight is better than our sight. When we don't trust God, we're not believing that God sees more than we see. That God knows more than we know. That God understands more than we understand. And so we think God surely doesn't see things the way that I see things. He's not here and in it and living in it like I am. So surely I know better. That's a key part of our distrust of God is that we think we see and know and understand more than God sees, knows, and understands. Keep going, verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. Why? To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel's like, hey, I didn't do it. The people did it. Their fault. He's putting, putting the blame, not realizing he's their leader. He's the one that's supposed to lead them towards God. And then he says, hey, and they took it for a good reason. Like, their intentions were good. They were going to sacrifice it. But notice what he says. To who? 
He says, not to our God, to your God. Samuel, they did this for you. They were going to sacrifice it to your God. Starts pointing fingers. Verse 22, Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He says, God cares about your faithfulness more than your intentions. He says, your intentions are good, but only if they're working themselves out in the way God commands them to be worked out. He right? so says, you thought, oh, I'm just gonna do this. This is my way. He says, no, God commanded you specifically how to live. This is what you were supposed to do. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. In other words, rebellion and assuming you know better than God or just as worthy of God's justice as witchcraft or worshiping false gods. Let me say that again. Some of y'all need to sit on that. Rebellion and assuming you know better than God are just as worthy of God's justice as witchcraft or worshiping false gods. That's what he says. Rebellion is the same as divination. Keep going. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So the kingship and kingdom is taken from Saul. He rejected God's commands. Samuel says it's going to cost you something, and it costs him the kingdom. His disobedience, his sin has consequences. All right, let me show you why this matters. I promise we're getting back to the cave. Let me just show you why Saul's uh, distrust of God matters. So the specifics of his life are going to feel a little bit weird to us, right? So it's like, okay, he didn't want to become king, he wanted to offer sacrifices to God, and he didn't want to wipe out an entire people group. Like, I'm not really seeing what the problems are here, Tim. Like, this seems like good things, and so it feels weird, right? Chances are none of us are going to wake up tomorrow and be tempted with, are we going to become king or not, <laughs> right? Like, that's, not, that's not our default. But what's going on here is a true reality, a true thing that all of us face when we wake up every single morning, and that's, are we going to go God's way or our way? Are we going to go God's way or our way. That's the whole story of Saul. Time and time again, God comes to Saul and says, do this. And Saul says, nope, I'm doing this. God says, do this. Saul says, nope, I'm doing this. When the circumstances of our lives press us, are they going to lead us towards disobedience or trust? Right, so think about your money. Right, if you get pressed financially, are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust what he says, that to give is better than to receive? Are you going to trust that God says he provides for his people, or are you going to clamp down? Are you going to go your own way? Are you going to, oh, we'll just pull back a little bit. We'll just be a little bit less generous. We just, we just won't care as much about that. Think about your romantic relationships, right? When your circumstances press you, right? Single folks in the room, when you're pressed by the very real, tangible reality of loneliness, are you going to trust God, or are you going to go after people you know you shouldn't go after? Married people in the room, when your spouse isn't living up to the dream you thought they would, are you going to trust God and pursue them and trust the lot he's given you in life, or are you going to run? Are you going to flee? Are you going to go your own way? Parents, kids, right? When your kids squeeze you, when the circumstances squeeze you and they just won't obey, are you going to trust God and step in to being a faithful parent that points them back to the gospel, or are you going to go your own way? Are you going to clamp down so hard that you squeeze them out? Or are you just going to pull back and go, whatever happens, happens? You can apply this to any area of your life. When circumstances press you, when situations press you, are they going to lead you towards disobedience or towards trust? It's a question for us this morning. The, the circumstances of Saul's life are unique, but we face all, like all of us face this. All of us face this question. All of us face 
this reality? What will I do? What will I do when this dilemma is put in front of me? Do I trust God or not? Do I take matters in my own hands? Do I trust the Lord? This is the dilemma that David's in. So back to the cave. 1 Samuel 24. I told you we'd get there. We're there. 1 Samuel 24. This is David's dilemma. He's hidden in the darkness of the cave. Right? Saul has been trying to kill him for five years. David has been anointed as king for even more time than that. And remember, he had to go to the pasture, and he was waiting there, and then he was on the run, and he's waiting here. And time and time again, Saul has thrown javelin after javelin after David, trying to wipe him out and kill him. And David's this is his chance. This is his opportunity. He can take out the king. Saul's in a vulnerable position, literally. David can wipe him out. He can take him out. This is his chance. And look what happens. Verse 4. Look at this. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So notice, this is not God saying this to David. This is his community saying it to him. These are the people around him saying, Hey, this is your chance, David. This is your chance. Go for it. Take your kingdom. David's pressed with a a choice. Am I going to listen to these people that are pushing me away from God's plan, away from God's will, away from God's calling, or am I gonna trust the Lord? Am I gonna trust him to establish my kingdom? Am I gonna trust him to establish my lot in life? Am I gonna trust him with my future? They're saying, David, go for it. Sure, everything inside of him is saying, David, go for it. End the misery, end the misery of years that you've been waiting to be king. Take your kingdom. Keep going, verse four, it says, then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David not only obeys, but then he persuades his men to obey. When Saul had that, with that terrible example of Saul not only disobeying God, but leading others to disobey God by taking from the Amalekites, David does the exact opposite. He says, no, I'm going to trust God, and his obedience and his trust leads to those around him obeying and trusting. David chooses trust. Verse 8, afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. He's like, see, could have. Could have killed you. Got the corner of your robe. I could have. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So David let Saul know, I was in the cave, and I could have killed you. I cut off the corner of your robe. Look, you were in my grasp, but I didn't. And here's why, verse 12, because the Lord is going to avenge me. Because I trust the Lord. Because I trust God. He's going to establish my kingdom. He said, I'm the anointed. He said, I'm going to be king. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to trust him. Verse 16, 
As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Which I love that. He's like, yeah, I've been talking the whole time. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. If you're the type of person who writes in your Bible, feel free to underline verse 17. It's super key. You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Verse 18, and you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. So the, the corner of Saul's robe clutched between David's fingers tells him everything he needs to know. All the words of Samuel that we saw earlier in 1 Samuel, right, that the kingdom was going to be taken from Saul, that his kingship was over, that he wouldn't rule and reign, that his children wouldn't rule and reign. It all comes flooding into his head, and he says, surely David is the Lord's anointed, not me. Surely David is the one who's going to be king, not me. And it shows Saul very clearly, that torn robe shows Saul very clearly that David has done what he has failed to do, which is trust God. When the circumstances pressed him, when his situation seemed cloudy and uncertain, David didn't reach, but he waited and he trusted. He didn't disobey, but he waited and he trusted. David chose faith over fear. He chose trust over disobedience. David chose God's plan over his plan. He chose faith over fear, trust over disobedience, God's plan over his plan. Here's the reality for us this morning as we kind of head to the end. When it comes to this portion of the life of David, you and I and all of us are tempted time and time again every single day to be more like Saul than we are like David. When our circumstances press us, when our situations seem cloudy, when our future seems uncertain, we time and time again, so much more often than we should, go the way of Saul, and we take matters into our own hands, and we go after what we want rather than trusting what God has commanded. And one of the main ways that I see this show up in my life and in the lives of those around me is through the phrase, it often sounds like, I know God said, dot, 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 but... I know, God, I know God said dot, 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 but, or I know the Bible says dot, 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 but. This can be anything in your life. Yeah, yeah, I know God says love my neighbor, right? Do good to those around me, even my enemies, but that guy's just the worst, right? Like, like yeah, I, I know God said I'm not supposed to date someone who's not a Christian, but I, I really think that I can change him. And I'm just not sure what, what would happen to him if, if I didn't. Like, I know, I know God said, right, I should love my spouse, pursue my spouse, but they just really let themselves go. Ah, they, just, they just don't reciprocate. They just don't love me. They don't care about me. They don't serve me first. I'll give you a few more. What's it for you? What's your thing? I, I know God said, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to walk in community, but my job's just really draining. I just, it's hard to be around people sometimes. Like, like, I know God said, be financially generous, and, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, but I just, I don't really trust what the church does with money. 
Nah, I just got a few payments I got to make. I got I to gotta pay myself first. I got to take care of myself first. Uh, I know God says, forgive as I've been forgiven, but I mean, they've really hurt me like bad. Right? And they, like, they haven't apologized yet, and, and I got boundaries. And God surely wouldn't want me to be an unhealthy person, right? I'm serious, fill in the blank. Whatever it is for you, fill in the blank. I know, I know God said, but. I know the Bible says, but, as if we can see more than God and know more than God and understand more than God. And listen, I know all of us, every single one of us in this room are pressed by our circumstances and situations and temptations. I know that. I know the reality each and every day when I wake up in the morning to go, am I going to choose the way of Jesus or not? And it's hard. But we have good news. 1 Corinthians 10 says that no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. So none of us are exceptions. None of our circumstances or situations are exceptions. It's hard for all of us. It's hard for every single person you sit in life group with. It's hard for every single person sitting around you right now in the gathering. It's hard. Our natural default, the grain of our hearts and of our society don't default to following Jesus. It's hard. But the next part of 1 Corinthians 10 tells us good news. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man, but God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will provide a way out. So yeah, when your circumstances press you, it's hard. And when your situation presses you, it's hard. But the good news is, A, you're not the exception. You have others who want to walk with you and fight for you and with you. And B, God is trustworthy and faithful. That's what David knows that Saul doesn't know. That's what David gets that Saul doesn't get, that God is trustworthy. And we know that because there's one who comes who is a true and better David. Right? There's one who comes who is a true and better king, who just like David doesn't take the kingdom by his own means, but rather when he has the chance in the wilderness, tempted by the devil, says, no, I'm going this way. I'm going the way of the cross. I'm going the way of suffering. Just like David could have taken Saul out, God could have taken, taken, taken us out in a very real way because of our sin, because of our rebellion against him. That's the reality of the cross. The cross was meant for you and I. We are the ones who are deserving of it. You, me, all of us, because of our sin, deserve to be on the cross, but Jesus, in his goodness, doesn't treat us like we deserve. It's the good news of the gospel. David doesn't treat Saul like he deserves, and Jesus doesn't treat us like we deserve. Like, are, you, are you kidding me? Right, like, when we were his enemy, he died for us. Right? I don't even want to give my enemy anything. He died for us. When we were running and rebelling against him, he sought us down and chased us. When we were making everything in our lives and everyone in our lives king, trying to put it on the throne of our hearts, Jesus said, no, I'm the king, and he showed it by shedding his blood. The same reason why Saul could trust David is the same reason why you can trust Jesus because when he deserved to not show us any grace or any love, when he willingly and deservedly could have by his justice wiped us all out, said, no, these are my people, and he claimed us for his own. 
That's the incredible good news of the gospel, that we were God's enemy, and he could have rightfully punished us in his justice, and he would have been good for it, but he didn't. Instead, he poured all of it out on Jesus on the cross. All of it. So David walks out of the cave, holding this little corner of Saul's robe, and he says, see, see, Saul, I could have killed you, I could have wiped you out, but I didn't. And Saul's response in verse 20 is our response that we are supposed to have towards Jesus when Jesus walks out of the grave, showing grace on us. And that response, verse 20, is he says, you're the king. Like, duh, you're the king. Look at it, verse 20, look at it with me again. He says, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. That the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Saul says, you could have taken me out, but you didn't. You're the king. I've been chasing you and hunting you for four or five years, and you had your opportunity, and you showed me grace. You're the king. Jesus, you could have wiped me out, but you didn't. You're the king. You had grace on me when I didn't deserve it. You're the king. You're the king. Because you're the king, I know I can trust you. Because of the cross, because of your body and blood given for me, I know that I can trust you. That's, that's the one application. You're like, what, what do I do coming out of this sermon? Trust him. Trust the king. Trust King Jesus. Whether for the first time for salvation or for the millionth time for life and godliness, trust him. When your circumstances press you this afternoon or tomorrow morning or Thursday night, trust him. Trust him. When everything and everyone inside of you and around you says, go this way, and God says, go this way, trust him. When your future seems so uncertain and so cloudy and you just want to take matters into your own hands because you love control like I love control, to go back and pray and say, Tim, trust him. Trust him. It's uncertain. It's cloudy. Trust him. He's better. He's better. And we look back at the cross like we do every Sunday when we take communion and we remember the body of Jesus given for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us and we remember we remember Christ's body willingly, willingly given up, and his blood willingly given up, taking the full wrath of God upon himself. So that's what we're going to move into a time of celebrating in just a second. Jesus sacrificed for us on the cross. We have stations around the room, gluten-free in the center back. And as you do this, remember Remember the invitation of Christ, what he has done for you and that you can trust him. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the only things we would ask you not to participate in simply because you'd be saying something is true about yourself that's just not yet. But rather than take communion, I invite you to take Christ, to trust him for the first time, to say, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And repent, turn from all of the ways you've tried to figure out life on your own, all the ways you try to do life on your own and trust in him. We'd love to talk about that. We'll be down front after the gathering. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion and sing. God, we, we love you. And we love your, your scriptures. We love good examples and bad examples. And we, we love that we get to learn from people like Saul, who is so real and reflects me, reflects so many of us. When our circumstances press us, when our situations press us, when our lives feel uncertain and cloudy and things just get squirrely, God, we just want to clamp down and control and do things our own way rather than trusting you and what you've commanded. It's hard. It's hard to trust you. It's hard to follow after you. It's hard to put our lives in your hands. It's hard to put our money in your hands, our relationships in your hands, our 
our sin in your hands, our shame, our guilt in your hands. God, would you invite us to do so, staring straight at Jesus on the cross given for us, not treating us like we deserved. It's the shocking scandal of the gospel that you don't treat sinners like we deserve, but you love us by your grace by your kindness, by your mercy, God. And so I pray that as we see that, God, would you help us to respond by the power of your Holy Spirit with trust, trusting you that you've done away with our past, that you are working in our present, and you are building a future that gives all glory and honor and praise to you forever. We love you. We need your help. God, help us to trust you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.